I grew up on the internet, and while I found and studied art and literature from many sources, it's still fair to say my tastes run extremely online. I'm a writer, a mom of internet kids, an English teacher, and a novice internet spelunker. Together with my wife, a novelist, digital and analog game designer, theoretically a physicist, and Twitter provocateur, we are going to read, analyze, and bring to you our favorite internet folklore. All right, everybody, it is late October, and that means one thing. Halloween stuff, yeah, obviously. So we're doing stuff a little bit differently this episode, uh, and the next week to come, we will be talking about some classic, that's with air quotes, uh, creepypastas from around the intertubes, breaking them down and, and talking about them as weird fiction and presenting them with the same literary, mm, what's the word? Deference? Deference. That's not the right word. No. Uh, acute, observational, I'm just throwing words out. We're, we're going to dig into them pretty deep with some literary analysis and treat them like they're real, legit fiction rather than just funny stuff on the intertubes, which is to say it might get a little mean. Uh, so I wanted to give everybody a nice sampling. If you don't know anything about creepypastas, um, we picked four subgenres, genres within genres within genres of creepypasta, and um, we picked the best, the most accessible, or at least the shortest examples of each of these genres as we went. So to start, well, let me first say, who all is here? So I'm Mina, which you probably have guessed by now. Uh, I'm here with Liv. I'm Liv. What am I supposed to do, introduce myself? Yeah, why don't you, real quick, why don't you tell your experience with creepypasta so far? Um, I'm aware that um, there's one that's based on Majora's Mask. Okay, all right. <laughs> that's a good bit. Also, I've heard that there are Slenderman movies and that they are bad. <laughs> oh, God. Sarah's going to go off. <laughs> Sarah, go ahead. Why don't you go ahead and give your introduction, too? All right, cool. I'm Sarah. Um, I've been super into creepypasta since I was getting chain emails back in the day. Mm. How long ago was that? <laughs> oh, you know, the day. The day, oh, sure. sure. Um, let's see. Uh, I'd say 2004 for me, or 2003 maybe? Yeah, I think, I want to say that, like, that's some of the earliest ones. That's, like, Ted the Caver era. Most of these things don't predate 2000, which is friggin' weird. The timing is strange. I'm old, so this all seems like it's relatively new to me, but actually a lot of people consider it very old now, which is bizarre. Yeah, well, when you say 2000, that's 18 years ago, and, <laughs> like, it could vote, technically. Oh, God. Um, Slender Man could vote, guys. Yeah, technically, creepypastas could be shamed for not voting the way that people want. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, actually, it's not that, that young, although I'm a little bit surprised that it took the Internet so long to really pick up with that, because I remember scary stories on the Internet um, from... Like back in the day when we had like dot matrix printers and bubble jets and stuff. Bubble jets, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, a lot of things come out of that. Yeah. And there are a couple of stories that kind of bridge the gap between those. But when it really got big is when um, 2chan and 4chan, the image boards all over the intertubes, um, started making it possible for you to just grab a little clip of a story, 
change a couple of facts, turn it into it's my cousin or my sister or this happened to my friend, mm-hmm. and then post it as if it really happened to you. And because it's all anonymous, nobody can say it didn't. Yeah. And that's really where a lot of these come from. Um, and there were also a lot of uh, competitions also at the very, very beginning where it was like, hey, let's make a new monster. I know. Let's come up with uh, these features that are scary. Right, 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 right. Yeah, it got well. It, there was a lot of community push to like be the one to come up with the cool thing. Like that's that's Slenderman's history, right, Sarah? Uh, I believe it's Slenderman's history. It's that was a photo editing challenge where they were like, "Hey, let's make some old photos really creepy by putting the same figure in it." Yeah, yeah. Uh, the bait came out the same way where it was like, "Hey, what scares you?" And people were like, "I don't know." People that are like really, really pale and crawl around and like maybe don't have any facial features, and that's basically how the rake happened. <laughs> what are we secretly all afraid of? Ambiguous white guys. <laughs> I mean, where's the lie? Yeah, that stuff is that stuff is actually pretty impressive considering like the era of photo manipulation software and stuff like that. That's true. Because like I remember old versions of Photoshop and they were just hot garbage. They were really they were <laughs> just a step above MS Paint. <laughs> Man, I'll tell you though, like there's still sometimes I'll get caught off guard by a picture of like the rake. It comes mm-hmm. up out of nowhere and I'm not ready for it and I'm like ah oh. I know what that is. Like the, the ones from the um, the game cameras, like for, for the hunting cameras? Yes, where the mm-hmm. eyes are all reflective. Oh, the terror. Oh, yeah. So bad. I, I still very much like the um, my, the, the one that I, I, my favorite is the Russian sleep experiment one. Do you know Absolutely. I actually have a really fun story about that. Sure. So that, that famous photo that's from that? Yeah. yeah. Is, that's a, um, a prop from Spirit Halloween. Yes. Oh. Lightly edited in Photoshop, like lightly edited. You can find pictures of the original prop online still. Oh wow! I think you can buy it. Yeah, I think you can still buy it. Huh. It's a little mummy guy, and actually, like in reality, he's kind of cute. Yeah, he's (laughs) he's kind of got like a weird, colorful eye, and it's like, oh, okay, putting it in black and white really changed that. Yeah, yeah, it's so funny, (laughs) but it's so effective. Like, you see it and you go, ah, oh, and it makes the the Russian sleep experiment way scarier than it actually is. Anyhow, um, (laughs) so before we get into all that, so the the subgenre that we're hitting on today, we're going to be talking about uh, video game creepypastas. Okay. So, you know, it, we, we talked a little bit about the history and how this all, in a lot of ways, came out of message board culture, or it bloomed out of message board culture. So, of course, these are also little video game nerds. And everybody wanted to have the story that was, you know, something awful happened to me while playing a video game, because that's relevant to their lives. Yeah. Right? They're writing from what they know. They're writing from their experiences and extrapolating out into horror. That's smart. That's yeah. how you do it. Did they do it well? No, usually not. Uh, but <laughs> what do you expect from people who identify as gamer Americans? Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, but there's there are a couple out there that absolutely like nail the landing. My favorite one that we can't really do for this podcast is uh, PT. Oh sure. So that was I don't know if you guys know that was a trailer, effectively a playable trailer for a Silent Hill game that never happened. Yeah. And it, broke- go ahead. it was Guillermo del Toro and Norman Reedus and Beautiful, and all of a sudden there were arguments and it got canceled. Yeah, it, and, it, and it's gone, and you can't even find the game. The, the playable trailer is gone. Like, it's nominally gone. You can still find it. But... You can, but you have to dig around, which is what makes it feel very creepypasta to me. Oh, it's sure. like, you know, 
there's a mystery around it. What if it isn't really what it said it was? You know, like it's it's good. Like that's a real thing that happened, and it's spooky and it's weird. And I I kind of dig that as a real world equivalent of what a good video game creepypasta should vibe like. Yeah. Um, all right, uh, so I'm going to go ahead and start reading this. Um, y'all can stop me at any point if you need to. Okay? Yeah. All right. Okay, all right, this one's short. So, in the last decade and a half, it's become infinitely easier to obtain exactly what you're looking for by way of a couple of keystrokes. The Internet has made it too simple to use a computer to change reality. An abundance of information is merely a search engine away, to the point where it's hard to imagine life as any different. <laughs> Whoever wrote this did not try to get pepperoni in Japan. Yeah, no, right? <laughs> <laughs> uh, and it is a little heavy in the lead there, right? Yeah, okay, sure. Right. Um, yet, 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 <laughs> a generation ago, when the words streaming and torrent were meaningless save for conversations about water, People met face-to-face to conduct software swap parties, trading games and applications on Sharpie-labeled five-and-a-quarter-inch floppies. Sarah, were you alive to see five-and-a-quarter-inch floppies? Oh, for sure. Oh. Yeah, absolutely. We had a computer that had three-and-a-quarters. Five-and-a-quarters. Actually, did we ever have a five-and-a-quarter while you were around? I've seen them. I didn't use them. I definitely used the three and a quarter ones, the slightly yeah, smaller. Yeah, the yeah, the little hard three point fives. Yeah. Yeah, but this is um, they they're evoking the image of the the it's a Sonic game, but it's you know with a marker on the top that says Sonic Black or whatever, which yeah. is very in keeping with the genre, but yeah. also very like real, like it's definitely grounded in reality. Yeah. Well, and also it's it's nice for nostalgic purposes too, because like is, we we didn't have as many of the um the the five and a quarters, but the three point five floppies you could get them in like magazines and stuff, which right. was really cool. Right. And that was that was a cool time. You don't really get game demos in that sense anymore. They don't like you you just go somewhere and download them. You don't like get them in a magazine. You don't get them from a friend or whatever. Right, right, right. We don't trade physical video games anymore. Yeah, which I is true. Right when they were phasing uh, everything out, I remember getting, like, PS1 uh, sample discs. Yeah, those are so cool. And, like, Domino's Pizza and stuff like that, and you could play, like, the first level of Spyro or whatever it was. And I thought right. that was just this thing. Or your friend lends you a copy of some Dreamcast game that you have to put a marker around the edge of it so that it'll play or whatever it yeah. was. Yeah, I'm not saying pirating is good. Pirating is bad. Don't pirate, I guess. Whatever. Don't get caught pirating. There you go. Uh, Of course, most of the time, the meets were a way for frugal, community-minded individuals to trade popular games like King Quest and Maniac Mansion amongst themselves. So this is a very fancy way of saying, yeah, we were pirating games for each other, but we were doing it physically, so it's like nostalgic and cute rather than whatever. Uh, however, a few early programming talents designed their own games to share amongst their circle of acquaintances, uh, who in turn would pass it off until, if fun and well-designed enough, an independently developed game had its place in the collection of aficionados across the country. Think of it as the 80s equivalent of a viral video. Does that feel real to you? Yeah, it is real. Okay. I mean, like for some reason, I feel like they're kind of discounting how many indie developers there have always been. 
Like, this makes it sound very rare. Oh, I don't get that from it. Okay. But I just, okay. yeah, the difference, the difference is that now, like, Undertale sells a bajillion copies on Steam, which is the biggest storefront uh, right. for video games, whereas back in those days, you had to basically get them through essentially free methods. Yeah, yeah. And it was it was sort of a survival of the fittest thing. And even then, like they're talking about how you know it would only it only pop up in the collections of people who are like real hardcore into it. So it was a more underground thing. Then. All right. I, I think it's sort of the opposite take away. Um, okay, all right, saying. that's fair. So yeah, I like this video game, but you probably never heard of it. Yes. Yeah. Pale Luna, on the other hand, was never circulated outside of the San Francisco Bay Area. All known copies have been long disposed of. All computers that have ever run the game now detritus buried under layers of filth and polystyrene. This fact is attributed to a number of rather obtuse design choices made by its programmer. Uh-huh. Somebody got there. Thor, 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 Thor. Yeah, this is a real flowery <laughs> fucking text. Yeah. <laughs> it's kind of goofy. <laughs> All right, but you know what? That helps it stand out a little bit. Sure. I can, you know, I can get that. All right. Pale Luna was a text adventure in the vein of Zork and the Lurking Horror, at a time when said genre was swiftly going out of fashion. Upon booting the program, the player was presented with a screen almost completely blank, except for the text, You are in a dark room. Moonlight shines through the window. There is gold in the corner, along with a shovel and a rope. There is a door to the east. And those are all capitalized to let you know that it's Zork-style parser keywords. Yeah. Yeah. Command. So began the game that one writer of a long out-of-print fanzine decried as enigmatic, nonsensical, and completely unplayable. As the only commands that the game would accept were pick up gold, pick up shovel, pick up rope, open door, and go east. The player was soon presented with the following. Reap your reward. And then all in caps. Pale Luna smiles at you. You are in a forest. There are paths to the north, west, and east. Command. What quickly infuriated the few who played the game was the confusing and buggy nature of the second screen onward. Only one of the directional decisions would be the correct one. For example, uh, on this occasion, a command to go in the direction other than north would lead to the system freezing, requiring the operator to hard reboot the entire computer. Further, any subsequent screen seems to merely repeat the above text, with the difference only being the directions available. Worse still, the standard text adventure commands appeared to be useless. The only accepted non-movement-related prompts were use gold, which caused the game to display the following message, not here. Use shovel, which brought up not now. And use rope, which prompted the text, you've already used this. Most who played the game progressed a couple of screens into it before becoming fed up by having to constantly reboot and toss the disc in, and toss, tossing the disc in disgust, writing off the experience as a shoddily programmed farce. There's the place where lovely, beautiful, you know, prose writing gets in your way because it makes it impossible to read. Yeah, that's a person that's really in love with their own crappy writing. Yeah, that's okay. Like, you know, good. Yeah. I'm in love with my crappy writing, so I understand. Uh, 
However, there is one thing about the world of computers that remains true, no matter the era. Some people who use them have way too much time on their hands. That's very true. A young man by the name of Michael Nevins decided to see if there was more to Pale Luna than at the eye. Five hours and 35 scenes worth of trial and error and unplugging computer cords later, he finally managed to make the game display different text. The text in the new area read, Pale Luna smiles wide. There are no paths. Pale Luna smiles wide. The ground is soft. Pale Luna smiles wide. Here. Command. It was another hour before Nevin stumbled upon the proper combination of phrases to make the game progress further. Dig hole, drop gold, then fill hole. This caused the screen to display congratulations, and then there are some coordinates. Upon which the game ceased to accept commands, requiring the user to reboot one last time. After some deliberation, Nevins came to the conclusion that the numbers referred to lines of longitude and latitude, the coordinates leading to a point in the sprawling forest that dominated the nearby uh, Lassen Volcanic? Volcanic. Yeah. <laughs> Volcanic Park. As he possessed much more free time than sense, Nevin vowed to see Pale Luna through to its ending. The next day, armed with a map, a compass, and a shovel, he navigated the park's trails, noting with amusement how each turn he made corresponded roughly with the in-game he took. He took in-game, yeah. Though he initially regretted bringing the cumbersome digging tools on a mere hunch, the path's similarity and all confirmed his suspicions that the journey would end with him face-to-face -face with an eccentric's buried treasure. Out of breath after a tricky struggle to the coordinates, he was pleasantly surprised to find a lit to literally stumble upon a patch of uneven dirt. Shoveling as excitedly as he was, it would be an understatement to say that he was taken aback when his heavy stroke unearthed the badly decomposing head of a blonde-haired little girl. Nevins promptly reported the situation to authorities. The girl was identified as Karen Paulson, 11, reported as missing to the San Diego Police Department and a year and a half prior. Efforts were made to track down the programmer, Pale Luna, but the nearly anonymous, legally gray area in which the software swapping community operated inexplicably, inescapably led to many dead ends. Collectors have been known to offer upwards of six figures for an authentic copy of the game. The rest of Karen's body was never found. Uh, uh, <laughs> making a face. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. Okay, so where do we start? Hmm. Um, the first thing that comes to mind is how the fuck did he know like where to enter that the path would be uh, in accordance to the game? Wait, what? A park is not a straight line. There's there's more than one entrance to any given park. Yeah, so the entrance was the coordinates given. And then from there he <clears throat> walked the I don't know. That doesn't make any sense. Now there's strange tapping coming from the next room over. Which is weird because it's a staircase, not an apartment. Uh-oh. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, I yeah, I... That stuff is not clear enough. Mm. Um, it needs more detail, particularly because, like, this seems to be narrated from his perspective, but not, because it's still third person. 
Well, it's mm-hmm. um, it's very journalistic. Yeah, it's but it's reported. like talking about his shit and his reactions. I I think that's a thing that journalists do. Not well, but like I think that's a okay. common thing with certain kind of journalistic reporting, right? Okay, okay, okay. Um, also, that's reported to have blah, 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 right? In the yeah, in the eighties, in the time in the time of five inch floppies, um, we it's not like everyone knew how to program, mm-hmm. and it's not like people just go missing randomly. People don't just kidnap and kill random children. That's that's a myth. People who kill children know those children Mm. and like the cops would have very much dug into the few people around that girl that were able to program and if that didn't come up with an answer we should know why Mm. Um, because that should be pretty obvious like for example um you know her mother were um you know worked at a place or whatever i i don't know i don't know um, but the fact of the matter is, is that, that there's no real good argument for why there's no progress whatsoever on that investigation. I mean, I would argue that this is America. <laughs> and well, it is actually, are garbage, but we don't know that she wasn't a white girl. We do know she was a white girl. <laughs> blonde hair, blue yeah, eyed. Oh, yeah. The blonde hair, blue eyed white girl, and that means they would have been all hands on deck. Uh, like looking at even like, a, is it Johnny Ghosh was the one that they finally solved his murder like decades later by yeah. going back to the first person that they interviewed and being like, hey, actually, wait a minute, you're confessing now? That's weird. Well, like, whenever whenever white girls go, like, mysteriously killed, um, you what you get is, like, the Joan Benet Ramsey case. <laughs> like In the 80s? Yeah. Mm. Yeah. It would be on the news and shit. Like, it's it's a complicated... It's, it's way more complicated than the story lets on. Um, when that sort of thing happens, so it feels more unrealistic in that regard. Um, also, um, we are probably talking about like you know Apple IIe's and stuff like that. Sure. Um, if we're talking about five-inch floppies, and you can just reverse compile any one of those games, so you can't tell me that it took hours to figure out one goddamn command um, that didn't crash the computer, um, because if you just reverse compile them, you know exactly what commands will work and which ones won't. It's not actually that hard to find what the person language is on any given one of these games. Like you can pull up a list basically of all the possible. Yeah. Things and then you can even set up another program to run through them for you. Yeah, like this might have been like C basic, you know, whatever. But like it, it's not like there's an infinite number, and and you can't use a parser language that those old computers can't read. Be, by the nature of them, they have everything sort of like pre-installed. Uh, so it's very easy to reverse engineer one of those things. Like that's the reason why program, program, uh, programming communities were so strong in that era is because you could take apart, you know, Maniac Mansion. You can just reverse engineer it, and you know exactly how it works. It's not very complicated. Um, and those kind of games, like whenever you're talking about five-inch floppies, you're really talking about games that um, the the entire code base can be typed out physically in a few hours. Like this isn't this isn't like millions of gigs of text and stuff like that. This is this is a very, very visible, very palpable uh, medium for a mm. programmer. And if it's only shared amongst programmers, then you can't tell me that none of them did that. Okay. So, so Liv has actually professionally made video games. Uh-huh. Um, I've done it with programs like Twine and, and that sort of thing independently, and I've played with RPG Maker and that sort of thing. Yeah. Sarah, have you made any video games? Um, so the closest thing that I've ever come to making a video game is uh, the cookie clicker, like, design your own game. 
stuff. Oh. Um, but I feel like I would still be semi-confident in being able to glance at some of the coding and be like, oh yeah, this is clearly the pattern that this is making and kind of decide if I could get, if I could access whatever the background stuff was, I'd be able to figure it out probably, especially because it's so simple. It's just like, oh, north or south or east or west. Yes. Yes. And, and, you know, the further back you go with computers, the smarter you had to be to be a basic computer user. Um, you know, I remember being a little kid and trying to work with cool radiance and how much I had to know about how a computer system works just to get the damn game running. Yeah. So, like, the player of this game at that time would be even more technically savvy than your average, like, iPad user now of the same age and the same interest level in games because you just had to know the insides of the system to make it work. Yeah. Mm. And I think that, like, my biggest uh, point with tearing this thing apart is that if there are multiple copies, as it's kind of implying, um, the fact that this chucklehead who took an hour to recognize some longitude and latitude numbers is the first one to decipher it is just baffling. It is. It's (laughs) utterly baffling. Also... Um, this this is written very much from the perspective of someone who grew up with GPS. Um, the you'll notice that the um, longitude and latitude string is yeah. very long. Yeah. Um, that's very precise, and you actually need like a a, a very precise positioning um, device in order to do that. Mm. That takes technology. <laughs> um, technology that maybe wasn't necessarily readily available in the 80s. Yeah, yeah, it, w- it wasn't readily available mm. at all. Like, you could only get it li- with, like, high-end military equipment and stuff mm. like that. We didn't have global, global positioning satellites at the time. Mm. Um, so that would not work. Um, you, could, you could do um, GPS guidance, or not GPS guidance, but um, long- longitude and latitude guidance, but it would be a lot less precise than that. Mm. And you have to read a map, and if this guy can't Solve basic problems. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, and if he has a map of the, it would be very easy to have plotted out that course. Because of course, if you have this fucking thing and it's got these very precise directions and stuff like that, um, and like it took you forever to find it, but you know that it's a location. A, you can look up the location, and B, you can track the, the coordinates and the directions that you've followed, because that's that's the first thing you would do. If you have a map, a precise map of the area like this guy did, then you put the map down and you draw a goddamn picture on it. <laughs> and again, I feel like programmers are historically not the most likely to go hiking in a random park, oh. <laughs> so a map is a much better idea. Get your highlighters, get your like red yarn and your thumbtacks or whatever, and just plot it out. Yeah. Although we do know that this particular programmer was at least willing enough to hike to dispose of a head. So there is that. Well, the programmer, but we're, we're talking about the, the guy who played oh, the, the game. Oh, the guy who played the game, yeah. Like, why did he just jump and go out to the fucking coordinates as opposed to just using a map? He, like, on a whole map. He's like, oh, it's a nice day out. Guess I'll just go for a little hike and hope maybe I'll find some gold coins. Yes. <laughs> I, that, however, I am willing to believe. <laughs> <laughs> a video game told me I can find gold coins here. I am absolutely going to go try to do that. Um, everything makes a lot of sense. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that parses. That's that part. the most believable part of the story. <laughs> that part. <laughs> All right, okay. So now maybe it's a, it's a thing of perspective, too, here. I have read a lot of creepypastas. I've read a lot of haunted cartridge video game creepypastas. And with few exceptions, they're all kind of trash. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Compared to your Pokemon Black creepy version, 
and your sonic.exe. This is a literary masterpiece. Yeah, it's a good idea. I just terribly executed. <laughs> terribly executed. That's actually the other thing that I want to like. I'll, like, yeah, I, I've been kind of picking it apart, but it's yeah. also kind of the, the most iconic creepypasta almost for me, I would say, because yeah. it follows all of those points, right? Where it like has at the very end, oh, guess what? There's a dead body. It has the like weird kind of Illuminati, um, spooky underground thing at the beginning. Like the, that's right. the whole nature of the story. Right. Um, and it also has that kind of the nostalgic yeah. video game thing. Like, yeah. those are all very important creepypasta points. And, right. like, compared to a lot of the other ones, even though it's very, like, flowery and, like, kind of silly writing, it's at yeah. least kind of grammatically correct. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, like, there's definitely some points where I wish they'd read it mm. out loud. But, like, that's just one of those things because I was reading it out loud, so it annoyed me. But, yeah. And, like, I love the specific details. You know, um... Like, we know specifically the type of text-based adventure it is because they tell us which other ones we should be thinking of. Um, they're giving us the specific commands. It's not just, I played the game for a while and I couldn't figure out how to get any further. It's, you know, showing us the parser language. And it's, um, you know, <laughs> apparently these coordinates, the, the coordinates that they give you are like the East China Bay. So that's not really, <laughs> like, Yeah, that doesn't really work. For something that was actually in San Diego, but, like, they did tell us about the girl's name and this one guy's name, and they told us specifically the park that the body was in. So I do like that because I think that grounds it in reality and makes it a little bit more, I have to think twice about this. Like, if I read this not on creepypasta.wiki, <laughs> I would have to think a minute before I believed it or not. I don't believe that there's a game that doesn't, like, you can't find at all in any form. Hmm. If you're listening at home and you know of a video game that is truly lost, please let us know. We want to hear more about it. And Parabolus doesn't count. Mm -hmm. <laughs> there's like, there is one small little like detail that I kind of just recognized for the first time, which oh. might be a to my like interest in creepypasta, or it might just be like one of those little hidden things. Yeah. Um, I really liked this time through that the first time that you try to use the gold, the message says not here. Yes. And then later on, after one of the Pale Luna smiles wide, it just says here and then command. Yes. Again, our beloved hero takes another hour before he, he ties that back in and is like, oh, here, maybe I'll try to use the gold or whatever. Right. Um, but I, I, I like that. It's kind of like a, it, it makes sense logically. Yeah, no, the, the buildup, like, frankly, the parser parts are the best part. The buildup of um, not here, you've used that already. Mm-hmm. You know, because basically what the game is having to do with the player is that you are the person who murdered this girl. Yeah, that's what I thought, too. I yeah, thought it was yeah, like yeah. a Silent Hill type thing. Right. You yeah. are the person who murdered this game, uh, this girl, and the game takes you through being the murderer. You've already used that, and you are burying the body. That's what the game is playing. That's what you're doing in the game. You're burying a body. Or a head, I guess. Um, hmm. And the, and the typical creepypasta thing, which is that it's kind of open-ended, because it's like, ooh, where's the rest of the body? Right, 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 right. But you know what would be cool? Yeah. Um, a follow-up story using those actual coordinates. Yeah. Um, where um, someone goes there and finds the, um, the, the, the player. The, oh, the player. Yeah. Yeah. Like, you know, 15, 20 years later, 30 years later. Well, right. We don't know much about anything until we suddenly get the player's name who discovered all of this stuff, Peter Nevins. 
Yeah. And one of my favorite fan theories, there are fan theories about this thousand word story. Yeah. One of my favorite fan theories is that Peter is the guy who made the game. Yeah. And he made up this story to cover up the fact that he was really proud of the fact that he killed a girl and got away with it, but nobody was able to beat his poorly designed game. Yeah, well, actually, if um, there's that Anthony Hopkins movie um, where he basically it just the entire point is is that he murders someone and then does an un unassailable defense. Um, this um, could be an unassailable defense. If right. he comes to the police and says, "I found this girl's head. Right. I found, uh, you know, I used this game to part or to find out where it was. This is the path that I used and stuff." The police aren't going to look at him as a suspect. Right. At least in fiction world, right, right, right. Uh, because the in police reality, always do the laziest thing. Yeah, they wouldn't go any further than yeah, it's you. Yeah, <laughs> but in fiction world, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. No, that's that's possible. That's highly possible. But I like the idea of someone going to the coordinates in China or whatever, right? And finding him yeah. because if you search for him, I'm sure you don't find anything because of course he's fictitious. But um, I'm sure, like, maybe he um he, he was killed before. The um the ad the widespread advent of the internet. Right. So he never got a ch chance to have an online presence or anything, and he just sort of like went missing. Um, and now thirty years later, um, because of this bullshit creepypasta that someone <laughs> used a, a goddamn coordinate in China, um, they they were covering up his murder. Oh. Huh. That would be fun. Yeah. All right. Okay. So that's pretty good. Um. I think that one wraps it. Uh, other than this one, Sarah, do you have a favorite gaming creepypasta or video game related creepypasta? Ooh. Oh my gosh, you asked me too quickly. Um, I mean, I feel like the obvious ones are like Ben Drown, right? Those are the ones that are like the iconic video game specific ones. That's um, the first mask one, right? Yes. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, yeah, I, I think that's probably up in my top ones. I honestly never got wildly into the video game specific ones um, just because it was so fake to me because it was like, I'm, I'm much more inclined to believe that there's like a spooky monster outside my house than that, ooh, there's a haunted video game. Right. Oh no, there's Tony Hawk, but also a body. Yeah. <laughs> Listen, don't drag me about my Tony Hawk obsession. Not only internet, please. You laugh, but there's... um. <laughs> There's a creepypasta about one of those, like, snowboarding games. I forget which one. Yeah, like, is it Sean White's? Yeah, I think it's it's terrible, but, like, they exist. There is no, it's like Rule 34. There is no video game for which there is not a damn bad creepypasta written about it. <laughs> That's what you need. You know, for whatever next video game you release, you just have to write the creepypasta ahead of time. I'm trying to write a creepypasta if I had a chance to do the game. <laughs> there you go. All right, cool. Do you, other than the Majora's Mask one, have you heard of any of them? Have you, have I, have you caught wind of them as I've been playing? Them? No, I try to avoid listening because they're awful. <laughs> <laughs> Every time I listen to them, I'm like, oh, and it hurts. That's not how that works. Well, it's okay. So this is like, it's like watching, um, it's like watching CSI as a, um, you know, a forensics person. Mm -hmm. um, anytime you turn on one of those video game pastas i just cringe because these people know absolutely nothing about making video games and it really really shows in the story like it's it's a story they're all stories that fall immediately apart if you know the first thing about game design mm. which is the same problem you have with Pale Luna. yeah yeah 
right, um, I'm going to cut this episode in a little bit here. But first, I wanted to say, Sarah, do you have anything to plug for this October, this end of October extravaganza? Okay, yeah. So you can go to uh, thesarahgates.com, or you can follow me on all of my social medias at Sarah Gates. I'll be posting lots of spooky makeup and other various art projects that you can have uh, opportunity to purchase or just look at and think that they're cool. Very cool. I, yeah, I saw one of your pictures from the, the terror um, behind the walls shoots that you've been doing. Um, yeah. Guy zombie? Oh my god, that was so creepy. I love, like, I'm so proud of that. First of all, because it's a Getty image, which I think is very, like, ooh la la, I'm fancy. <laughs> um, but also, like, I was so proud of his makeup, so the fact that that specific makeup was the one that kind of got the fancy treatment was really, really nice. Cool, 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 cool. That is very cool. All yeah, right. so go check out her stuff. Yeah, yeah, and uh, and on her stuff, her social medias, you can also find her Patreon, where she will send you a box of cool spooky stuff. Yeah, absolutely. This last box was uh, ghost themed, and so there were ghost stickers and a ghost uh, lapel pin and some other ghostly things like a real ghost photograph. Ew. Ooh, I like that. All right, awesome. Okay, so then moving on, it's the end of October. Liv, what do you got to share? Um, it's the end of October. Um. Well, the um, our our new game, Machine Zite, mm. um, it's a it's a horror game, right. like an RPG, um, in the vein of Dungeons and Dragons, tabletop RPG, um, but it's done for like really brutal one shot sci fi horror stories, like Alien, Event Horizon, Pandorum, that sort of stuff. Um, but um, unlike you know your normal tabletop adventure game, um, you expect pretty much everyone to die. It's really it's really violent. Um, it's and it's all about like sort of sitting around telling sort of campfire stories that are about space stations and ghosts. You should go check it out. Um, it is called Machine Zeit. That's the German spelling. M A S C H I N E Z E I T. Um, and you can also find it on our social medias and stuff um, because we talk about it all the time. Yeah, yeah. And to kind of tie in with video games, um, we have a Twitch stream oh yeah uh where you can watch us play video games talk leftist politics and occasionally play rpgs we'll probably do some editing some other game design work yeah lots of stuff and that's what that is um machine age productions twitch uh at machine age productions so check that out all right and i'm gonna bye see you love you bye. see you love you bye, bye. This podcast and content read within are released Creative Commons Sharealike Attribution 3.0 license. Music is by Abysme with a Creative Commons Attribution license.